It's time to head out on the front porch on KFRM. Grab your favorite drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation on the front porch. Today on the front porch, we get a chance to sit down and visit with a news anchor, a former football player, and author, and we're going to talk Kansas City Royals, so our listeners know that I'm going to be very, very happy to spend some time uh, visiting today with Matt Stewart, uh, who's, uh, again, a news anchor in Kansas City, played for Northwestern Wildcat football in a Big Ten championship run, and uh, now an author of a book called The Kansas City Royals, an illustrated timeline, which I have in my hand right now, and I told Matt before coming uh, onto the front porch, uh, it's a gorgeous book, and I'm anxious to really dig in and get through it. Matt, thanks so much for taking time to visit with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Rocky. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, let's get a little look into uh, you growing up for our listeners to give some background um, out of Nebraska, right? Yeah, from uh, Omaha, Nebraska, born and raised. So I'm a Nebraska boy at heart. Um, loved the Royals growing up. Of course, we have the AAA affiliate, the Omaha Royals right. in Omaha. So we'd go to some games, and then, of course, I'd listen to Denny Matthews on the radio anytime the Royals games were on. and watch them on TV whenever I could. This is back in the 80s. I'm sure. like almost 50 years old. So I've been a Royals fan for a long time, but the 80s is really when I started following them and I've uh, been a fan ever since. Yeah, I'm a, a few years older than you are, but the same era of uh, Kansas City Royals baseball, I got hooked as in the late 70s, so obviously was in the prime of uh, what was happening in the 80s with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, your dad had a heavy influence on on your love of baseball, right? Yeah, my dad um, was a great baseball player, a lot better than me, actually. Uh, he was he coached me when I was younger. Uh, he played baseball up until his 60s. Uh, we even went down to Arizona uh, for a father-son baseball tournament uh, about uh, maybe 15 years ago and played on some of those spring training fields where the professionals are playing yeah. right now huh. and uh, just had a blast. But he was a really good pitcher, really good infielder. Um, and so, yeah, he loved baseball, and I really grew to love baseball because of his love for it. Uh, what did your parents do? Uh, my dad was an accountant, and he worked in the basement. Uh, but because he had his own company, he couldn't make his own hours. And so, you know, if there was a baseball game or practice, he'd put everything off to the side, and he'd go. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, and your mom? Uh, my mom is a medical technologist, so she worked at the Veterans Hospital for a while. Nice. Um and then she just kind of became a house mom, you know, and just really supported. I'm, I'm the oldest of four. Okay. Uh, so she would be at all of our games and all of our events. And, you know, she really was more of a stay-at-home mom, which was great to have. So what was the dream, uh, I'm guessing, playing Major League Baseball for the Royals when you were, when you were a young lad? Was that the dream? <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you, Rocky. I, I wasn't a great baseball player. And that was the frustration. Now, I played baseball all the way through high school. Uh -huh. um, I didn't make my high school team, but I played club baseball during the summer months. Uh -huh. And I loved it. But I knew baseball was not my talent. Football was more my talent. And really, it had to come down to eye-hand coordination. Like, if you're going to be a good baseball player, you kind of have to catch a ball and hit it. <laughs> and I would usually miss on both accounts. Uh, but with football, all you got to do is hit another guy. So I'm like, you know what? I like hitting people. I think I'll focus on football, and that's what I did. So uh, when did you uh, have the thought of playing at the next level in football? Is that through your entire high school career? Was there a moment that kind of clicked for you? Well, you know, growing up in Nebraska, of course, in the 90s, we, you know, the Huskers were so dominant with Tom Osborne as coach, and 
Um, I'd go to the games. My grandparents had season tickets, and so I would go to the games and watch them. Huge Husker fan, but realistically, I knew I wasn't good enough to play at Nebraska if I wanted to play college football. Um, the truth is, is that once I finished my high school career in Omaha, I was kind of done with football. Um, but then I had applied to Northwestern because they have the best journalism school in the country, and I knew I wanted to be a TV reporter, a broadcast journalist. And I got in to the school, and I remember my dad was like, you know, they don't have a real good football team. You might be able to play there. And I said, okay, why not walk on? Give it a try. It's Big Ten. I'll play Michigan, Ohio State. So it was a situation where, you know, I had no intention of playing college football. It kind of fell in my lap. Um, my high school coach reached out and said, hey, we can send you some film of Matt if you want to see him play. They're like, no, no, we don't need to see any film. He can just walk on because <laughs> no one walked on at Northwestern because they were so bad. Hmm. I mean, they owned the longest losing streak in Division One football history. They were terrible. They were at the bottom of the Big Ten. And so if a warm body wanted to come out and get hit, you know, every day during practice, they were they were willing to take a chance on me. <laughs> that that is funny, and uh, and what a turnaround, and what timing you had to uh, have this kind of fall in your lap to uh, join. And Gary Barnett shows up, and uh, Big Ten championship rolls around. You earned a, a full ride. I, I've read some of your bio and, and looked. I remember the Northwestern Wildcat team as I think everybody that was a football fan at the time did because uh, you guys just were shocking the world. It seemed like every Saturday you took the field. What a, what a great time that must have been for you. The timing was absolutely perfect. You're right, Rocky. It was a situation where, you know, even going there, my goal was just to maybe play on Saturdays. And then I get there and here's this head coach, Gary Barnett, you know, who had coached you know he's the offensive coordinator at Colorado when they won their national championship with Bill McCartney and he just had this vision and this belief that we, he was going to turn it around you know one of the first things he did was he basically came up with this slogan called expect victory he said we're not going to hope for victory or wish for victory we're going to expect it each and every Saturday and it took two years to get rid of all the the bad seeds and kind of you know get flip our minds into believing in ourselves and not looking at the history of Northwestern football, but realizing that if we play together, if we work together, we could indeed win football games at a college level. And you're exactly right. It was 1995. We were at Notre Dame. We were 28-point underdogs, and we went into South Bend under touchdown Jesus, and we won 17-15, to 15, <laughs> and that just changed the whole course of Northwestern football that day. Yeah, they were top 10. You beat Michigan that year, top 10. And Penn State, if they weren't top 10, they had to be very close. Uh, what a, what an amazing run. And and I could dig in and talk about this for quite some time. I'm a huge football fan as well. But uh, I want to get to uh, to uh, baseball. And before that even, I want to talk about uh, your career in journalism. Matt Stewart, again, is our guest today. And we're going to be talking about his book, The Kansas City Royals, An Illustrated Timeline. And it really gives a, a stamp on the beginnings of baseball in Kansas City to the beginning beginnings of the Kaufman family and the Royals themselves. And we will get more to that because I, I'm very excited for people to, to learn about the book. It's it's fantastic. But I do want to talk about, you mentioned going into journalism school and being accepted at Northwestern. When did that dream of being a journalist come into your world? Uh, to be honest with you, Rocky, I was writing, like I was creating newspapers when I was in fourth grade for my neighborhood. So I always had this bug for journalism. I loved watching the nightly news at 5 and 6 p.m. I was a paper boy, so I delivered the Omaha World Herald uh, for about 10 years. 
Um, and I also love to perform. I was a big, I was big into musicals um, and singing and performing and acting. And so I was trying to find, you know, when you're a teenager, you're wondering, what am I going to do with my life? And so you start thinking, what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? I enjoyed writing and I enjoyed performing. And it just dawned on me, I think it was probably my junior year of high school. I was like, wait a minute. I could be on TV. I, I write my stories, and then I get to basically perform them, tell them to everyone on camera. And so that was kind of the seed. And so then when it came to looking for schools, um, I was looking for a strong journalism program. And I remember my mom and I went to this college fair, and they had the, one of those books, you know, the best colleges for this major. Mm-hmm. And so we looked up journalism, and at the top was Northwestern. And my mom's like, that's in Chicago. I've never been to Northwestern. I'd never heard of it. I'd never been to Chicago. <laughs> but my mom's like, you should apply. So I'm like, all right. So I went ahead and filled out the application. And the day we were supposed to send it in, my dad spilled coffee on it. And so I had to leave a little note, which probably stood out from the other applications. Oh, there's a coffee stain. And wrote a little note apologizing for that. Um, and the truth, Rocky, is that I accidentally applied to the wrong school at Northwestern. They have different schools for majors, and they have a school of TV, film, and speech. And so I thought TV, well, that's where I want to be, but actually that's like TV production, like oh, Hollywood okay, stuff. sure. <laughs> and so when I realized, wait a minute, the journalism school is not there, I quickly applied for a transfer, and before I even got there for, say, freshman year, they had, they had allowed that transfer. So then I was in the Medill School of Journalism from there on. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Matt Stewart, again, is our guest on the front porch. Matt, I'm going to get a break in here real quickly and come back and, and talk about uh, getting into your career of, of broadcast journalism. And uh, you've written another book as well. I want to talk about uh, your, I know you wrote as a young boy, uh, made your own newspaper, but kind of when the thought of, uh, of putting a book together came about as well. We'll visit more with Matt Stewart on the front porch. Once again, on the front porch, we get a chance to visit with Matt Stewart, who is a news anchor for Fox 4 in Kansas City. Uh, before we get to there, what was the path to getting there, Matt, as uh, as you come out of Northwestern, had this great run in football, got the full-ride scholarship, Big Ten champions. I mean, it was a, a glorious time in Northwestern football history. Um, and you're in the School of Journalism. Uh, what, what was the plan, and, and how did the plan come together to to start that career well what was interesting is going through that experience at northwestern i realized that you know it's okay to set your goals extremely high and then to do everything you can to achieve those goals so coming out i'm like you know what i'm gonna set my goal i want to be an anchor on the today show with katie couric that's my goal right my, my big goal my big dream but honestly kansas city was always kind of the dream i loved kansas city I visited as a kid, um, driving down here for baseball tournaments. I just I felt a connection with this town. Love the Royals, love the Chiefs. I'm like, you know what? I'd love to anchor in Kansas City. So that was kind of my secondary goal. But it was tough because this is a talent industry. I mean, it's one of those things where you send a tape. Back in the day, you sent a tape. Right. Now it's probably online. <laughs> but you would send a tape, a VHS tape or a DVD, and you would hope that the news director would put it in and watch it. You would hope they would like it and want to hire you but so many people wanted to be on tv it was just so competitive it was really hard so right after school i had these big dreams of oh i'm gonna be a reporter right away and i'm gonna be in kansas city in a couple years well the truth is is you know i just took any job in omaha i could get and that just happened to be 
a morning editor photographer at the NBC affiliate in Omaha, which was part-time and paid like $7 an hour, <laughs> but I was in. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a reporter, and I'm going to show them I can do this. And then a traffic reporter position became open. They moved me there. I'm like, I'm on the right path. And then after about a year and a half, my news director's like, yeah, you need to go somewhere else because you can't just be promoted to reporter. So then I go to Sioux City, Iowa, you know, and that took, I sent out like 40 resume tapes and it wasn't until the 41st that Sioux City's like, hey, we'll give you a chance. And you go up there. And then a year and a half later, I'm in Kearney, Nebraska, not too far from you guys. Yep. And I'm reporting there for two years. And I met my wife and we ended up getting married. And then I go to Dayton, Ohio, because she had to get her master's degree at the University of Cincinnati. And I had to take any job I could, which happened to be just a photographer job, but work my way back up to reporting. And then after two years, my wife is like, we'll go anywhere you want. And so I sent out tapes. And fortunately for me, Kansas City, the CBS affiliate reached out and wanted me for a job. And I'm like, we're going to Kansas City. <laughs> I finally made it. It took me seven years, Rocky. Wow. Seven years from graduation. But what I learned at Northwestern was never give up on your dreams and just keep, keep grinding, you know, just keep moving forward. And eventually, hopefully, your dreams will come true. Was the dream always to be a news anchor or was sports because you're such a fan? Was that a part of what you wanted to do or was the anchor job really the, the, the ultimate? Probably the anchor job. I think what I realized was that everyone wants to be in sports because <laughs> sports is fun. And there are so many middle-aged white guys doing sports. <laughs> I mean, the competition <laughs> is fierce. So I was like, you know what, if I go into news, I'll have a better opportunity there. And then another thing, too, Rocky, is that I love sports. I love watching the Royals and the Chiefs. Like, do I really want to go in the locker room and, you know, talk with some player who's kind of a jerk and kind of ruins me on the team? And I kind of like keeping that as a hobby, you know, watching sports, kind of my way to decompress. And, and it's worked out so far. Interesting perspective. I, that would not have crossed my mind to have the – the image of a team that you love be spoiled uh, by being on the inside so much. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great perspective to have on it. I know that uh, growing up, play-by-play, um, -play, I, I do all of our play-by-play -play here along with several different hats that we wear at the station. But, uh, you know, growing up playing wiffle ball or basketball in the front yard is where I cut my teeth doing play-by-play -by, -play by myself. But it, the dream was always Denny Matthews, and you have a perfect point on the – uh, talent that is available to everyone and so many different people because Denny's still doing it today, so it's pretty crazy to think about. Amazing, and his voice is so smooth. And you know, I've met Denny. Uh, he wrote a book, and he came on our station, and I did a quick interview with him, and he's just the nicest, most generous man. But doing the research for this book on Denny Matthews, you know, realizing you know how he got the job, uh, Schlitz Beer was a sponsor of the Royals, and so he, like, sent a Schlitz advertisement to the Royals, you know, for the job when he applied, just trying to stand out. Um, very fortunate to get this job. One of the reasons that they loved him for it, um, Buddy Blattner was, was the main guy they had hired, and he was looking for kind of a color man. But they loved Denny because he didn't talk so much. He didn't, you know, he just let the game breathe. And that's something as a fan, growing up listening on the radio of the Royals, that I appreciated, that you could hear, you know, the people in the audience. You could hear the crack of the bat. It wasn't just 
a guy talking the whole time, but right. just letting it breathe, you know, so you could feel like you were there even though you weren't. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we had Denny, it's been a few years back, on, on the show, and uh, it was probably the most nervous I've been to sit and visit <laughs> with someone. Because, you know, he's kind of an idol growing up, and it, yeah. like you said, he was as nice as you could imagine, and that voice is just so so pristine. We had uh, Fred White, the late, great Fred White, uh, oh, yeah. we, we had a good great. relationship with, and I had I got the chance to go up in the booth, not not on the air. It was just a tour Fred was giving us uh, at the stadium, and and I walked in. And I said, Fred, I have to do this one time. I won't do it again. But thanks, Fred. Hi, good everyone. It was my Denny Matthews imitation, and he laughed so hard it was it was a blast to get a chance to do that around him. But. Um, That's Matt Stewart is our guest here on the front porch. The book that he alluded to and he was ta- starting to talk about Denny Matthews is the Kansas City Royals and Illustrated Timeline. And uh, th- this book is fantastic. As I said, I received it a couple of days ago. And so just starting to dig into it, but just fanning through the images in the book is worth it right up front. Uh, the the memories that came back when, you know, Frank White turned into or UL Washington thinking of his toothpick and and yeah. uh, AO out in the outfield with the palm of his glove worn out from using the same glove for so many years. All those memories started to flood back, and I think that's the beauty of this book. But it also takes everyone up through uh, current day with the the World Series in 2015. So it's fantastic, uh, Matt. When did you? get into the idea and is the two books the walk-on and, and this one are is do you have more books than that yeah so back in 2012 well first of all i guess we can go way back because right when i was you know in fourth grade on my typewriter typing up the neighborhood newspaper <laughs> I, you know i'd always dreamed of being an author i loved reading and i wanted to write books but it's hard i mean when you start writing a book i can't tell you how many times i've started a book and then like 10 pages in, I'm like, eh, no, I'm done. I don't like this, or I'm not good at this. But what happened was eventually I was like, okay, I need, I want to be a a writer, and if I'm going to do this, I need to sit down and actually do it. And I read a book about how to write a book, which is interesting they have those books, but uh, it said write about what you know. And I was like, you know what? No one's really written about Northwestern football and that amazing turnaround. Uh, Gary Barnett wrote a book right after we went to the Rose Bowl, um, but Besides that, no player had written from that perspective. So I, my mom had taped every football game that I played in at Northwestern, and I had all the media guides. And so using my own memories with you know all of that um, material, along with Gary Barnett's book, I wrote The Walk-On. And I ended up sending it out, trying to get it published, but I was frustrated with just the delays and everything. I decided to self-publish, basically. Hmm. So I self-publish, I put it in a contest, it wins an award, which just basically verified to me, okay, I can write a book. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not bad. So I write the walk-on, and then from there, I was like, well, let's write a murder mystery centered around a TV station, you know, a comedy. So I, I wrote what's, uh, what is titled The Man from New News, and it's about the smallest TV station in America. It's fiction, of course, <laughs> but... Uh, it just—it was fun for me to be able to make fun of my profession within this murder <laughs> mystery genre, and that got five star reviews. And I was like, "Well, let's write a time travel adventure." Like you can see, just totally different types of stories. Um, and so I wrote *Trip in Time*, which is time travel adventure, and that got great reviews. And so Reedy Press out of St. Louis found out that you know here's this TV guy in Kansas City who's writing books, 
uh, would you want to write for us? Because they write series of books. And so the first book I wrote for them was called Unique Eats and Eateries of Kansas City. And I profiled 86 of the most unique restaurants in Kansas City. And that sold really, really well. They really liked it. And so the owner came into Kansas City from St. Louis and sat down with me. And he's like, okay, we want you to write another book. What do you want to write? And so we were kind of going through ideas. And I told him, I said, I've been a Kansas City Royals fan my whole life. And they have a series of books that illustrate a timeline, which focuses on a sports team. And it really tells the history of the entire franchise from the beginning to present day. Tons of pictures. It's beautiful, as you said. So I was like, I want to write about the Kansas City Royals. And he goes, well, do you think it'll sell? Because they're not really good right now. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, what you need to know about Kansas City Royals fans is it doesn't matter how bad they are. We love our team. I go, people will buy this book because just the memories, like you were saying, of the 70s, Mm -hmm. the championship years, going to the series in 80 and 85. And then, of course, 2014-15, uh, just, you know, rejuvenated that interest in the Royals. I mean, people love the Royals, and I wanted to write this book, and I did, and it turned out even better than I could have expected. Yeah, I, I can believe that because it is fantastic. Uh, I need to get a break in real quick, Matt. I want to come back and, and talk about the process a little bit more, and I really want to let the listeners Get an idea of what uh, they're going to get in their hands when they get the the new book. Again, it's the Kansas City Royals, an illustrated timeline. Stay with us. More coming up on the front porch. Once again on the front porch, and uh, we've finally dug into the book, and I'm excited because we're talking Royals baseball, which uh, I grew up on. Matt Stewart, our guest today, the author of that book, the Kansas City Royals, an illustrated timeline, grew up on the, the Royals as well primarily in the 80s i got a start when they were uh, running into the yankees every year in the late 70s and then finally breaking through and and uh, it's just a, it's it's such great memories that come from uh, looking back through this book uh, matt the process of getting a book published i know you self-published your first one you talked about um that process becomes easier a long time or is it still the same tough grind of getting through it? Writing a book, it's easier because you get better, because you kind of understand the process after you do the first one. Uh, What I like to tell people, if if they have any interest in ever writing a book, no matter what it is, whether it's nonfiction, fiction, I always tell them the first thing you need to do is you just need to vomit the information on the page. (laughs) Because I think what happens is if you try to make every sentence perfect, you'll get too tired of it and you'll go away from it and you'll never write it. But if you just stream of consciousness, like the beat writers, just, just write it, you know, spend every day, write three to four pages, just write, write, don't look back until the book is finished. Mm. And then you can go back and that's when you start massaging it and fixing it. I find that has worked really well for me. Um, and then, yeah, the, the more I do it, the better I get so with this Royals book. Well, granted, I love the Royals and I know a lot about them, but I did a ton of research. I did hundreds of hours of research, hundreds of hours just putting it together, worth every minute of it. Um, But it was fun. It was such a joy uh, to learn things, especially like with you being a fan of the 70s. I didn't really know much about the team of the 70s and losing three times to the Yankees (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. So it was fun for me to dig into that history and really learn things I'd never known before. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, The book, again, is called Kansas City Royals and Illustrated timeline um 
just to go with the process a little bit more, I'm fascinated by authors and, and putting, you know, pen to paper and then from that point getting to a massaging it, as you said. But you said uh, vomit uh, up the words on just get going. <laughs> I've heard uh, Dak Shepard, the actor, a whole different thing, but he talks about writing uh, for movie or TV. And he says you've got to allow yourself to write something crappy. And once you get started, yep. it turns into what you want it to be. Is that is that fair? Oh, that's 100%. I mean, it's interesting because by the time you finish the book, it's actually pretty good. And then you go back and you're like, whoa, that, that first part's not really good at all. But the <laughs> ending is a lot better because you just, just like anything, the more you do of anything, the better you're naturally going to get. And the same is with writing. Yeah. Uh, the book starts literally from the days of professional baseball coming to Kansas City to the the A's, of course, under Charlie O'Finley, and then to finally the Kaufman family coming in. What were the thing were there things that surprised you uh from early on in Kansas City as far as baseball goes that maybe you didn't know about? Well, you know, we have a great Negro Leagues baseball museum here. Uh, Bob Kendrick runs that and we do a ton of stories with him and so that's the nice thing, at least with the Negro Leagues, like I've done a lot of stories so I was kind of knowledgeable about that but i didn't know a lot about the blues right the mm. kansas city blues the triple a affiliate for the yankees um for so many years and they were so dominant and that's why kansas city really loved baseball because they had this dominant triple a team and so when they finally brought baseball the philadelphia athletics to kansas city we had this built-in fan base that expected greatness right, right. and then here come the athletics and the owner is treating it like a, a New York Yankee farm club, right? He had owned Yankee Stadium and Blue Stadium, had to sell both, but he had great relationship with the New York Yankees. So here come the Kansas City Athletics, Kansas City's first professional baseball team. Uh, that The whole city is, is selling out crowds. They're ready to get behind them. And the owner keeps trading away all the star players, you know, um, and you're just like, wait a minute, you know, they need to stay here. How are we going to win if you keep trading the great players for the Yankees? They would they would trade the young players to the Yankees, and in, in exchange they'd get, like, three old guys that were near the end of their careers. And so people just stopped going. That's why Charlie Finley, when he took over the team as owner, he was, you know, he tried everything to get people <laughs> there. He, he, he had, like, a petting zoo in the outfield. Um, he had these little robots deliver baseballs to the umpires. I mean, he did anything to get people to come to the games and kansas city just was fed up with the losing team and that's why he's like all right we're out we're going to oakland yeah use an excuse if i remember right of uh he needed a bigger market to to make a team successful while he's running basically a circus on the field in front of uh <laughs> in front of true baseball fans. So uh, as the Kaufman family kind of rolls in, and I, we won't go through the whole book, but I, just a few things I'd like to kind of ask you about and highlight. Uh, the Kaufman family is, uh, they are as real as you can get as far as a, a team, uh, a family with loyalty to a city and to the Royals themselves. And I, I jump ahead a little bit, but uh, he came in, they came in. It really was a family affair with an yeah. idea of putting a, a quality product on the field, um, and they included the community from the very get-go. I, I did read enough of the beginning of your book, and I had forgotten how the Royals got the name 
Royals. And uh, I'll let you kind of expand on that. But it, it reminded me of a story I'd forgotten about. Yeah. Well, I love, if we talk about the Kaufmans real quick, I loved how Ewing Kaufman and his wife Muriel, you know, Ewing didn't really know a lot about baseball, didn't really follow baseball. They were huge horse racing buffs. Right. Um, but after the athletics left, and Missouri Senator Stuart Symington is like, uh, Major League Baseball, you give Kansas City a team or we're going to sue you for antitrust. So, of course, the American League's like, okay, we're going to give you a team right away. So they get a team, and they're like, okay, we need an owner. And Muriel's the one who went up and said, you know, we need to buy this team because we're one of the only people that can afford it, and the city needs it, you know, for civic pride. And so he's like, all right, my wife wants me to buy the team. I guess I'm a baseball owner now. <laughs> so he buys it. And, you know, he, he's like, you know what, this is the city's team. It's not mine, it's the city's. Let's do a contest to find out the name of this team. Let's name it. So they did this huge contest with the Kansas City Star, the newspaper in town. And they, they got thousands of submissions. But the winning submission was Royals. And, you know, growing up, I always thought, oh, Royals, like kings and uh -huh. royalty in England. And no, it's the American Royal, which is the largest livestock show in the nation. It takes place every year here in Kansas City since 1899. Um, and, yeah, it's just a way for ranchers to show off their livestock. Uh, we had big stockyards back here back in the day, and that's where it came from. So really an ode to the past history of Kansas City. Yeah, and the, the logo, which I think is just so classic, it was interesting also in your book, uh, the different ideas they had from building Kansas City Royals with the logo. And I'm sure glad they settled. I think Muriel was a deciding factor on that, too, if I remember. Is that correct? Yeah, she wanted just a simple, like, crown and crest. Right. Um, they, they commissioned Hallmark artists to give, you know, to kind of design the logo. So it was Hallmark artists that did it. And there were a couple with, like, a cow in the middle. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> the royals with a cow in the middle of that crest? Uh, no, I, I really can't. So thank, thank goodness. Cooler heads prevailed. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for sure. Um, I want to get one more time out. We're visiting today uh, with Matt Stewart about the Royals and about his book that is all Kansas City Royals. If you're a fan of baseball, period, but especially if you have uh, allegiance to the Royals, uh, this is one you need to have, the Kansas City Royals and Illustrated Timeline. We'll come back and, and uh, talk more about the book and some of the, the highlights that we find through the book uh, from the beginning stages to present day. We'll visit more on the front porch. Today on the front porch, we get a chance to visit with Matt Stewart. It's been fun visiting. In fact, we were just uh, during the break. Uh, talking about the fact that we're already at the last part. It seems like we're just getting going on the Royals. But uh, it is a fun book, The Kansas City Royals, an illustrated timeline. And, and Matt, I thought maybe we would jump through. We've kind of given the beginning of the Royals from the A's to handing it off to the Kaufman family. Um, then you get into uh, the 1970s, and they d did start to grow the team and, 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 and become a quality product and begin to compete although they ran into the Yankees too many times. But it, it was fun to see this team come together and the names that I can I – could, you could give me a year, and I really think I could name you the starting lineup um, uh, in each position player. I won't do that to you today, Matt. But, but uh, the 70s were the start of really what the Royals built. 
Yeah, I didn't realize you were that die hard. <laughs> that's, that's die hard right there. You know, when I was writing this book, what I wanted to do is I wanted to really separate each section into the different decades, right? So you have your 1970s, and within those decades, I took all the great players and wrote profiles on them, uh, really like finding things that the normal fan might not know about this person, adding in some fun quotes along the way. And then I wanted to represent each year that the Royals play. Now, sometimes, you know, if they had a string of losing seasons, I would put all those into one chapter. Uh, sometimes when they got to the playoffs, right, I would put the American League uh, Championship Series would have its own page. But, yeah, that was one of the fun things was just, one, learning about these great players like Amos Otis and Freddie Patek and uh, Cookie Rojas, uh, Paul Splitorf. And then you get into that championship years where all of a sudden they're winning, right? They, they have this young core of George Brett, Frank White, Hal McRae starting to come up through the through the team, and they, they're playing with abandon. They're playing cocky. You know, Ewing Kaufman threw a ton of money at this team. He wanted to win. He wanted the best people in the right places to make this team win, and they did. Um, but you're exactly right. Three years in a row, from 76 to 78, they ran into the Yankees in the American League Championship Series, and three times in a row those damn Yankees <laughs> beat the Royals and they just they didn't get to the World Series until 1980 when they finally overcome uh, the Yankees in the American League Championship. And the funny story there is that uh, Freddie Patek and Cookie Rojas, they were so excited. They ran out to dance in the fountains, right? They wanted to dance in the fountains because <laughs> they are finally going to the World Series. The problem is that um, it's electricity in there, right? <laughs> so the PR director of the Royals at the time quickly ran over and got them to turn off the electricity right before those two players jumped in because, as Freddie said later, he goes, man, if he hadn't turned off those, uh, that electricity, we'd have been like two dead goldfish just swimming around that fountain. <laughs> as only he could put it, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, I, as I thumbed through the book and, and uh, as I said, I've been a Royals fan uh, for as long as I can remember, and, uh, you know, I, I see the Mad Hungarian. I see Dan Quisenberry's pictures. Mm. Such memories of, of of those guys and the uniqueness that they brought to the field. And of course, Quiz uh, we lost far too early. But um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 it, George Brett jumps out, and we all wanted to be George Brett growing up. Uh, I played third base, nowhere near his level. Uh, I didn't bat left-handed, but he was still. I've used the the major league uh, bubblegum chew as much as I could fit into my mouth because that's what Brett did. But beyond him, <laughs> there were so many great players. You know, Al Cowens comes to mind. I, I I I could sit here and list so many. But that's what this book does is bring back those memories, and then Matt, it jumps you ahead to. More lean years after '85 uh, in the World Series. I guess we ought to highlight that at least for a bit, though, uh, when they did break through and, and Brett Sabrehagen and company shut down the I-70 series. That's right, and they won Game Six legitimately. I don't care what St. Louis Cardinals fans say. <laughs> Amen. Um, in fact, I have a whole section on Game Six. Um, but yeah, no, you know, that's when I didn't. I didn't really start following the Royals until '87. Because I was born in 75, so I was right around 12 years old, so I kind of missed the whole World Series. Uh-huh. But I grew up following, you know, Mark Gubaza was my favorite pitcher. Bo Jackson, I, I modeled my batting stance after him. <laughs> Kurt Stillwell at shortstop. Like you, I could just name that whole lineup. Loved watching them play, um, listening to them, and just following them. 
And, you know, they didn't have the, the central division back then, and they didn't have the wild card. Right. And if they had, the Royals would have gone to several playoffs because they really did have dominant teams, but the Oakland Athletics were just a little bit better. Yeah. And so they were the ones that ended up going to the American League West playoffs and their champions, the American League, you know, championships instead of the Royals, which was frustrating for a Royals fan because you've got these great players and these great teams. And then you're exactly right. We hit mid-90s after the, you know, Ewing Kaufman dies. We have the big Major League Baseball strike. They start cutting payroll. And then the losses start piling on. And it was a tough lean time to be a Royals fan. It it reminds me of growing up a Chiefs fan as well. And, you know, right now the young people are thinking this is the norm and uh, it's not, we were bad for a long, long time. And for the Royals, the same thing took place. Um, And I guess maybe you could jump ahead uh, and kind of look at the section of your book where things started to turn in a different direction for the Royals. Yeah, you know, the problem was that when David Glass took over the team, he had been the CEO of Walmart, and he wanted to run the Royals like Walmart. He wanted to slash prices and really slash costs. And so he would tell his scouts, you know, don't draft the best player in the first round because we can't afford them. Uh, He said he took away the cell phones from the scouts, so they'd be out on the road and they'd see a great player, and they'd have to go to a pay phone. I mean, he did everything he could to sabotage this team, thinking he could still win by cutting costs. And he finally realized after about five, six years of losing, he couldn't. He got tired of it. And that's when he hired Dayton Moore, the general manager, uh, became our general manager. He was with the Atlanta Braves system, and the Braves were so good back then. And he learned from one of the best, Dayton Moore from from Scherholtz. So, yeah. He was amazing. And Dayton Moore was just like, we've got to completely gut the minor league system and start over. And it just took time. But he gave him time, and he started spending money on those contracts for you know, they started drafting Mike Moustakis and Eric Hosmer and Alex Gordon, and they started, you know, spending money on these draft picks. And sure enough, it led to two straight World Series appearances and a world championship, you know. So we're definitely grateful that David Glass, you know, decided to start spending some money on this team. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Um, and the great run with those named Moose and, and Hosmer. Here's how quickly baseball and life goes by, Matt, and I'm probably stating the obvious to you. Hosmer just retires this year. Uh, is it hard to believe? Makes after old. Doesn't it, though? I mean, it just <laughs> kind of hits home when, when you hear things like that. And so contracts are contracts, and sports is a business, and uh, those names that you mentioned had to go elsewhere. Uh, that's just how the game happens, and for small market uh, baseball, uh, it's 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 rebuilding years, and it's kind of you go through the process again. What are your thoughts, just as a fan? And I know you you t- talk about from uh, 2020 into the present in the in the book, but as a fan, do, do you have a feeling? It, to me, it seems like there's a little momentum in in the organization. Do you have the same thoughts? Oh, 100 percent. Now, look, I'll be the first to admit that I'm kind of a Royals homer, and that like every year, I think they're going to the playoffs, even when objectively they can't. You have to. Uh, and I feel no different this year, right? Right. But the difference this year is so much from last year. You think about last year was their evaluation year. You know, John Sherman, the owner, did not spend any money really on free agents. It was, let's see what we have. And then they realized, okay, we lost 106 games last year. We need to do something. <laughs> and they brought in some great free agent pitchers because pitching has been our weakest link, right, over the last decade probably um now we've got some pitchers that actually know how to throw strikes uh they lock up bobby witt jr to a 
potential 10-year contract. So their star, like George Brett, was here forever. Mm-hmm. Alex Gordon was here forever. Salvi Perez has been here forever. It makes it so much more fun as a fan if you know that you're, you're the player you love the most is going to be here for the next decade versus what they did with the Johnny Damons and the Carlos Beltrons, you know, trading them after four or five years. So there is a lot of optimism heading into this season for sure. And Bobby Witt Jr. is, is a, a player that the the world pays attention to. He's electric on the field, and he's got a, a personality, but he seems to have bought into Kansas City. And I know he's it's a big contract, but that heck, every player in the, the bigs has a big contract of some sort. Yeah. But it just feels like he wants to be a part of, of this future of the Royals. Well, and honestly, you look across, Truman Sports Complex at Arrowhead Stadium, and you see how Patrick Mahomes has bought into Kansas City. I mean, he's on a 10-year deal, and Bobby, you know, Patrick Mahomes owns a portion of the Royals. Right. So for Bobby Witt to be able to just hang out with Patrick Mahomes and pick his brain and to have these two great athletes who are some of the best at their position, you know, in the world, here in Kansas City, it's, wow, such a treat. Yeah, pretty blessed to uh, to have that that happening, and hopefully the Royals, uh, as your book talks about Bobby Witt Jr., the future and and the, the the present day Royals, building on that. And hey, man, it's spring training. We are going to make the playoffs this year, man. Okay? Yes, we are. I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. Hey, Matt, before I let you go, and then again, I could continue on with this for for quite some time. But um, your book, uh, the Kansas City Royals, an illustrated timeline. Is there a place you would like people to buy that from or just wherever they buy their books? I would love it if you guys bought it from my website. It's mattstewartbooks.com. What a lot of people don't realize, uh, being an author, is that when you buy a book from an author on Amazon, they make pennies on the dollar. Like, seriously, uh, Amazon takes all the profit, and the author who actually wrote the book doesn't really get a lot. Hmm. But if you buy it directly from the author, it's the exact opposite. So if you went to mattstewartbooks.com, I'll sign it, and I'll ship it right off to you, and I appreciate your guys' support. I know you're going to love this book. As you said, Rocky, it's beautiful. It's a coffee table, hardcover, 160 pictures, great stories of Royals history. Um, it's it's really, really fun, and, and I hope everyone out there gets it. It's a fountain of youth. It'll take you back to uh, being a kid as you look through and in the memories and then give you hope for what's to come uh, in the future with the Royals. Matt, I've really enjoyed our, our conversation. Uh, your story is a very cool one on how you got into Northwestern, uh, both in journalism and football, and then getting to uh, do the, your dream job as a news anchor in Kansas City. And the book is, is fantastic. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Rocky. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. That's Matt Stewart on the front porch.